Well, good morning, Fellowship Church. Uh, my name is Nick, and I'm one of the pastors here at Fellowship Church. And if you're here with us for the first time, we are so thankful that you chose to join us in worship uh, here this morning. We're also thankful to have Christina here as well. Uh, I would greatly encourage you to stop by and chat with her afterwards. Uh, I think two months ago, I had the privilege of hearing her story, and wow, what a work that God has done in her life. So uh, I'm going to speak on behalf of her and say she would love to share that story with you. So uh, please please make sure you stop and talk with her. Uh, it's amazing to see what God is doing in it through her life, her family, but also uh, through Pathways Ministry. So I want to start off by asking a question to you all this morning. What is prayer? And at first you might think, okay, well, I know what prayer is. Well, don't, don't check out on me here. Just let's process through this. I want you to really think about this question. What is Prayer. Or maybe even how would you define prayer, right? Sometimes prayer is one of those things that we, we are familiar with, but when someone says, what is prayer? You're like, great question. So this is something that I want us to be thinking about. And this morning, I want to dive into the story of a woman who I believe gives us a great depiction of the essence of prayer. And so if you have your Bibles uh, out as well, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 1. Um, thanks, Ben, for reading that for us a little bit ago. And so turn back into 1 Samuel chapter 1. And as you do so, uh, let me give you a little bit of context in this passage. So we have two main characters here that we read about a little bit ago. We have Eli, who is the high priest here, and then we have Hannah. And so a little backstory on Hannah. Hannah was married to Elkanah. And Hannah was unable to have children. And unfortunately, Elkanah took it upon himself to take a second wife who gave him a number of children. And perhaps the reason why he did this was because Hannah was unable to have children. We don't really know for sure, but regardless, this was not a godly decision on behalf of Elkanah. Regardless of the situation, they were on their way to Shiloh to make sacrifices and celebrate what was probably the Feast of the Tabernacle, according to Judges 21. So they were going to Shiloh to celebrate a festival. And because of Hannah's inability to have children, she was mocked and ridiculed. And this went on for years and years. And every time they would go to worship, Peninnah, who is the other wife, would mock Hannah to the point where Hannah would become provoked, or in other words, angry, bitter, frustrated. And so what should have been a joyous occasion for Hannah going to worship ended up making her angry, confused, frustrated. I mean, perhaps you can relate to that this morning, but perhaps you walked into these doors with anger, confusion, or frustration. And so these feelings led Hannah to the point of weeping. And the word weep here doesn't simply just mean crying or shedding a few tears. It means to wail, to mourn, to lament. And so the picture we see here is Hannah is wailing and mourning what she doesn't have but so deeply desires. Wailing and lamenting. And then her response was to not eat. And so Hannah and her husband are in Shiloh for this festival, and Hannah enters in with anger, confusion, and much grief. So let's pick up in verse 9 and 10. Let me read these again for you. 
After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the high priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorposts of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And so after they had this meal, Hannah was so moved by these feelings of deep hurt and anguish that she got up from the table. And verse 10 goes further to say that she was deeply distressed. And so this Hebrew word here translates means to be bitter, discontent, to heavy. It also literally translates to a bitterness of soul. So she was bitter to her very core and her being. And she had reached such a low point that the very inward being of who she was was bitter and angry. This was a low point for Hannah, feeling the weight of the world. So what does she do? She prayed to the Lord. Many of us, maybe that's the last thing that you would have done in those moments. And instead of running from God, she ran to God. And Hannah chose to use that bitterness as a driving force to prayer rather than it being a driving wedge between her and God. And if you're taking notes in your Bible, highlighting, starring, sticky notes, whatever, mark this down because I don't want you to miss this. Because in her darkest moments, in the peak of her anguish, she prays. She prays in her deepest, darkest moments, a bitterness of soul, she prays. But notice her state as she's praying. She continues to weep bitterly. And this phrase, weep bitterly, actually uses the same Hebrew word twice. So it literally translates weep weeping, which is an intensified verbal expression. And so she was weeping so hard that the writer used the word twice to communicate the extent in which she was weeping. And as she prayed to God, she continued to weep, to, to wail, to mourn, to lament. And so Hannah didn't get her act together before she prayed. She entered into prayer as she was and met God where she was at. I love this picture. She didn't get her act together before she went to prayer. She went right where she was. And this is what she prayed. Verse 11 says, And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. And so she asks for a son and promises to dedicate him to the Lord. And so at first glance, you might conclude that she's trying to strike up a deal with God, that she's bartering with God. But look at how she begins this prayer, O Lord of hosts. And so this name here is Yahweh Saba, Yahweh meaning I am, the existing one. And this, this second part of that, Saba, has military connotations, such as a group of men fighting, or actually it's also used to describe the heavenly hosts, and so what Hannah communicates from the beginning of her prayer is that she believes that God, who has and always will be, is the same God who is fighting for her 
with the heavenly hosts. This name emphasizes the power and might of God who rules over the vast multitude of angels, stars, and armies. In that simple phrase, that's what she's communicating about her God, the God alone. And as she prays, she prays believing that the God she is praying to has the power and strength above everything that he has the power and strength to accomplish her request. So it wasn't just that she was praying. She started praying off, believing in the fact that God can answer her prayers and that he is who she believes that she believes him to be. And this confidence that she has, the confidence she has is not that God will answer her prayer but the confidence she has is that God can answer her prayer. And I think as followers of Jesus, we need to understand the difference because she believes that God can answer her prayer, not necessarily that he will answer it. And that's why 1 John five fourteen says, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. And so Hannah doesn't pray, God, if you do this for me, then I will do this. Her prayer, however, is God, I know you can do this and you care about my desires. If in your sovereignty, you choose to give me a son, I will sacrificially respond in faith to dedicate him to you. Two very different prayers. And as I was studying this, it reminded me of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they responded to Nebuchadnezzar as they were being thrown in the fiery furnace. Daniel 3 says, uh, this is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They said, if this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And I think beyond this, the fact that Hannah refers to herself as God's servant three times shows us where her heart is. That no matter what, she was going to choose to follow God. No matter what, she was going to choose to follow God. And so already from this prayer, we learn a number of things. She prays believing that God is sovereign overall, that God has the ability to answer her prayer, that God cares about her prayers and desires, that God sees where she's at and what she's going through, that God hears her prayers. She will respond in sacrificial obedience and no matter what the outcome, she will follow God. All of this already we learn from the short prayer. And as she prays, look what happens in verses 12 and 14. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. And as Hannah continued to pray, Eli, the priest, noticed her. 
However, Eli was focusing on the words that she was saying or her outward appearance, but Hannah was speaking out of the heart. And as Eli saw her praying silently and as she's navigating through these emotions, he concluded that she must have been drunk. That was his conclusion. So in his misunderstanding, Eli wrongfully rebukes Hannah, telling her to stop drinking. But look at how Hannah responds. Verse 15 and 16. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman. For all along, I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. So Hannah responds by saying, I'm not drunk. I haven't even had any wine or anything strong to drink. And she also describes herself as being troubled in spirit, which is a unique expression for being overwhelmed by her extenuating circumstances. She was troubled in spirit. So have this image in your mind here of she's in the corner wailing, mourning, but she's praying inaudibly, pouring out her heart, her soul to the Lord. And as she says this to Eli, she then says, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. And so what does this mean? Well, rather than leaving her emotions to fester in eternal, internal bitterness, she had expressed her deepest desires and requests to God with persistence and humility. So rather than all of these emotions that are building up, rather than bottling them up inside, which, is, which could continue to lead to increasing bitterness, she expresses them to God. And this is what I want to focus on, is that in her act of prayer, she was pouring out her heart to God. And this right here is the essence of prayer. It's pouring out our hearts to God. It's certainly not all-encompassing, because the Bible talks a lot about prayer, but I want to focus to part of the heart of prayer. It's pouring out our hearts, our soul to God. It's talking with him, being with him. That's why John 15 talks about abiding in Christ. And instead of keeping the bitterness and anguish in her heart, she poured it out of her soul before the Lord. This is how my brain thinks. She, she could have easily taken these deep hurt emotions and just kept them inside like a crock pot on low, just continuing to fester and to fester. But she says, I am going to pray before the Lord to pour out my soul. And look at how Hannah responds to Eli, though. Even though his accusation was inaccurate, Hannah still responded in a respectful tone. She could have easily responded in arrogance or portraying herself as more spiritual. I mean, in a way, if we read this, if she responded by saying, uh, I was praying and you're over here looking for drunk people, she could have said that, but she didn't. She responded with grace and respect because Eli was still her priest. I love this posture that she has. 
She did not accept the accusation, but she responded with grace and respect. And so then how does Eli respond? Verse 17, then Eli answered, go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And so after hearing her heart behind what she was doing, Eli changes his mind and then gives her a blessing. God of Israel, grant your petition. And perhaps Eli may have spoken this only as a kind wish, but regardless, as we continue to read on, this was in fact a word of the Lord. Because verse 18 then says, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went away and ate and her face was no longer sad. And so Hannah is encouraged by Eli's change of heart and his blessing along with her time in prayer. She returned to eat and we see here written that her face was no longer sad, meaning that she had a change of heart. There was hope. There was a rejuvenation of confidence, of hope. And this came as a result of prayer. And so prayer isn't just about changing our circumstances. Prayer is about changing our hearts. Prayer isn't just about changing our circumstances. It's about changing our heart. When Hannah walked away, her face was no longer sad. It doesn't say that everything was fixed and that she walked away skipping, singing Akuna Matata. She was no longer sad. I have no doubt that she was still processing these emotions, but she walked away rejuvenated with hope and confidence. Her face was no longer sad. Didn't mean that everything just disappeared, but she had hope and confidence as a result of her prayer. Because prayer is more so about changing our heart, not always just about changing our circumstances. And that's a lot easier said than done, folks. I want to be honest with you. It's easy to say, but... Hannah shows how we can regain the joy of fellowship in the house of the Lord again by pouring out her heart before the Lord and by receiving his word with faith. And in this instance, it was through Eli the high priest. And praise be to God that we have the word of God to give us comfort. And look at what happens from there. They rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord. And they went back to their house at Ramah and Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And so early the next morning, what did they do? They went to worship the Lord once more. Just this little phrase here gives us such a great example that she went to worship the Lord. She didn't say, all right, I prayed. I'm going to see what happens. God, only until you do this for me, then I will return to you. No, she goes and she worships the Lord. And even though her prayer had not been answered yet, Hannah still went to worship the Lord. Because you see, patience in the Bible never means a lack of action. Biblical patience means continuing to do what God has commanded and trusting him with the rest. And I love how Hannah continues to worship even while she was still in waiting. Because patience, biblically, doesn't mean a lack of action. Patience means continuing to do what we know that God has asked us to do. 
And so what was Hannah's response? To be actively patient, to go and worship, to worship her God. And then after they worshiped, they went home. And when they did, the Lord remembered Hannah. And now this doesn't mean that God had forgotten Hannah before and now he remembers her. But rather, it means that God was sovereignly intervening in her life and answering her prayer. And so this word remembered here is an anthropomorphism. Big word, I know. This is a way of explaining God's actions in human terms that we can understand, even if it doesn't perfectly describe God's action. And so it's not that he forgot Hannah, but in the best way that our human minds can understand God remembered her. He intervened in her life in a sovereign way. And God did indeed remember Hannah because in verse 20 we read, and in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son and she called his name Samuel. For she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. And so Hannah had a son whose name was Samuel which means heard of God or asked of God, which to me is a beautiful picture in and of itself. And so God answered Hannah's prayer, but don't miss the beginning of verse 20. These three words are probably words that we have to wrestle with a lot. Notice how it starts off, and in due time. Oftentimes we want God to answer prayers right away but God works on his timeline, not ours. And so often we get frustrated when God doesn't answer our prayers, when we enter prayer by saying, good morning, God, here is the schedule for my life. Here is when I would like this prayer to be answered. If it's a day late, not a big deal, just have it on my desk by Monday. (laughs) I mean, we kind of kid about that, but how often do we approach prayer in that manner? We get frustrated and angry at God for not meeting our timeline, forgetting that we're not God. And so sometimes the hardest prayer is in due time. Hannah then saw the result of her prayers. And we don't know exactly how long that time is going to be for our prayers. Could be a day or two. Maybe there are prayers that you've been praying for years. And while that's hard, we trust in the Lord in due time. Because God works on his timeline, not ours. And while there's a lot that we can unpack in this passage related to prayer, there are five things I really want to focus on this morning. And these are in no particular order. Number one, you don't have to have it all together to pray. Hannah was in deep hurt and pain, and she was weeping as she prayed. She was weep, weeping. She didn't wait to process her emotions and then go to God. That's why she went to God, to help her process her emotions. And see, this is one of the many differences between biblical Christianity and the other worldviews that we spent the last few weeks and months studying. And here's what I mean by this. Religion says, I'm in so much trouble, my dad is going to be furious. Biblical Christianity says, I'm in so much trouble, I got to call my dad. 
That is the difference here. She ran to God. How many times do we think and believe that we have to clean ourselves up before going to God in prayer? But church, this is the kind of thinking that Satan wants us to believe. Anything to keep us from going to God. Maybe even as we mentioned that prayer service earlier, maybe you already thought, okay, I have way too many heavy things going on in my life. I got to get them all sorted out before I can even think about going. Well, may I encourage you through the example of Hannah. She came weep weeping, but she went to God. And if you're waiting to get yourself together, whatever that looks like, before you pray, then my guess is you're probably not going to pray very much. Because God wants us to come to him as we are. Because there's no need to put on a show for God. Because he knows our hearts. Because prayer does not require us to have it all together. Prayer is the act of going to the one who has it all together. Number two, prayer should be our first response, not our last resort. And so again, when Hannah was hurting, what did she do? She prayed. When she was in great distress, she had a bitter soul. She was angry and bitter. But what does she do? She prays. Church, don't miss this. Prayer is not the emergency fire extinguisher we keep in the glass case on the wall. Prayer is our first reaction. And may I be so bold to say that if prayer is not your first reaction, then perhaps that is an area of your life that God could be desiring to do a work in. And that doesn't mean that I've mastered that by any means, but this is something that we need to work together on. I think of King Jehoshaphat in 1 Kings 22. Listen, listen to what he does. For three years, Syria and Israel continued without war. But in the third year, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, came down to the king of Israel. And the king of Israel said to his servants, Do you know that Ramoth Gilead belongs to us? And we keep quiet and do not take it out of the hand of the king of Syria? And he said to Jehoshaphat, Will you go with me to battle at Ramoth Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, inquire first for the word of the Lord. And so Syria had been at war with Israel and Judah for some time. And Jehoshaphat here meets with the king of Israel, who was Ahab at the time. Spoiler alert, would not recommend him as a role model, but... He says, don't you realize that Syria is ours for the taking? Jehoshaphat agrees in spirit, but before he officially commits to this, he says, inquire first for the word of the Lord. Or in other words, first, let's find out what God says, what God wants of us. So before he even runs into war, he seeks out God's will. And his first response is to go to the Lord which I think is a beautiful picture of what we are called to do. Number three, prayer isn't one size fits all. And what I mean by that is prayer can be done in many different ways. And so in the example of Hannah, she prayed quietly to herself without speaking. 
She doesn't even utter a word with her mouth, but we see that she had a genuine heart of prayer. So you can pray without physically speaking. That's one way to pray. And we see lots of other examples of prayer in the Bible. Acts 12, we read how Peter, when he was put into prison for his faith, verse 5 says, but while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. And so this word, the word church here is ecclesia, which means the assembly of believers. So this is an actual group of Christians gathering together to pray. And this Greek word for earnestly, ektenos, means intensely, fervently. And so this word picture here is that of someone stretching out all they can for something. And so this adverb relates to a medical term, ektenes, which describes the stretching of a muscle to its limits. And so in other words, the local body of believers gathered together in person to pray for Peter to the point of intense stretching. You ever do some work at the house and you're lifting and moving things and you're like, I feel like my muscles are going to just rip. This is the way in which they were praying for Peter while he was in prison. They were pouring out their souls before the Lord. And one other way to pray is by praying the scriptures, which for me was beneficial when I first placed my faith in Christ because I didn't know what to say. So I started off by just praying through the Bible. And so earlier in Acts 4, after Peter and John were released from one of their trials, the church prayed and praised God. And as they did so, they prayed and recited Psalm 2. And so if you don't know how to pray, if you don't know where to start, the Bible you know, the Bible has everything that we need and want. The Bible is filled with prayers that can give you the words when you don't know what to say and how. And sometimes there are moments when I enter into prayer and I don't even know what to say that I just run to the word and pray the scripture. And in fact, the Psalms are amazing because they're filled with prayers. So perhaps the book of Psalms would be a great place for you to start if you're not sure how to pray or what to pray. And so again, these are just a few ways. You can pray in silence, pray together with other believers, and pray scripture. Again, those are just a few examples of ways that you can pray. Number four, the heart of prayer is talking with God or pouring out ourselves to him. Again, like the example of Hannah, she poured out her soul before the Lord. She gave it all to God, her hurts, anxieties, bitterness, anger, everything. And it makes me think of 1 Peter 5, 7, where Peter writes, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Now, how many of you have ever been fishing before? Okay, a few fishermen. Well, part of fishing requires you, spoiler alert if you've never been, requires you to cast your line and hopefully not your pole. Definitely never done that. <laughs> Casting your line out so you can start the process. And to cast means to throw or to give up. And so pouring out our souls in prayer is casting our anxieties on him. So to cast means to not hold on to. It's giving them over to God. 
give them over to God. And in case you're wondering, maybe you're wondering, can God handle what I'm carrying? Well, let me give you some hope. God can handle everything you have, are currently, and will ever face. Why? Because Colossians says, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Nothing will ever surprise God. Nothing, 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 nothing. You want me to keep going? I won't. I could stand here the rest of this time and say that, and it would still be true, because nothing will ever surprise God. You need another reason? I'd be glad to offer one. At the end of verse 7, it says, God cares for you. Yes, you You who are sitting in this room right now, those who are listening online at some point, God cares for you. God cares for you deeply. And that's why he says, cast your anxieties on me. And if you've ever thought, I don't know how to carry these burdens, good, because you were never meant to carry them. And that's why Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And if you truly believe God is who he says he is, then he can handle anything that we throw at him. And number five, God is always at work behind the scenes. And so we see in Hannah's story that it was God who caused Hannah to not be able to have children. But God had a plan And we see that unfold in the eventual birth of Samuel, the great prophet, who would then one day anoint King David, who through David's lineage would bring forth the promised Messiah, Jesus. And so all Hannah could see was pain, but God saw a plan. And so wherever you're at, whatever you're going through, know that God has a plan. And we, like Hannah, may not know what that plan is, but we trust in the God who is sovereign over all. That's why in 1 Samuel chapter 2, she goes on later to pray, There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge. And so church, God doesn't have office hours. God, unlike Chick-fil-A, isn't closed one day a week. I was waiting to see what response I was going to get there when I said that. We can go to God at any time, any place, anywhere. God doesn't put up a close sign and say, talk to me tomorrow. We can go to God whenever. Why? Hebrews 10 says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, why? By the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And because of Christ, we have full access to God. So let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, because he is faithful. And maybe you're here this morning and you're not even sure what prayer is. That's okay because we all have to start somewhere. I was at that point one day in my life. And so 
Here's a simple definition for you to remember as a starting point. Prayer is relational communication with God. And so prayer is relational because prayer helps us deepen our relationship with God. As James 5 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And so being in a relationship with God and not praying is like me being married to Laura and never talking to her. Our relationship with God requires relational prayer. And beyond that, prayer is how we communicate with God. And Hannah poured out her soul to God. She communicated her struggles and emotions. And you know what boggles my mind? Is that God wants us to come to him. We are never bugging him when we pray. Proverbs 15, 8 says he delights in the prayer of the upright. I mean, how often do we think about that? That God delights when we come to him in prayer. That God delights, gets excited, has joy when we come to him in prayer. And Psalm 50, 18 says, and call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. So I have no doubt that all of us are facing some sort of trouble right now. And so think about this. What hurt, fear, and anxieties are you holding on to right now that you need to pour out to God? That you need to cast, that you need to give over to him? Because how often do we pray as if we write our prayer to a balloon and then we kind of give it over to God, but then we hold on to the string? Church, we got to cast our cares. And so maybe you're thinking, well, Pastor Nick, I hear you, I get it, but what I'm carrying is heavy. You, You don't understand. And you might be true, but listen to what David writes in Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley in the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. So if you're here today, if you're listening online and you feel like you're drowning with the weight of it all and you're running out of ideas on how to carry them, Well, let me encourage you with this. You were never meant to carry those burdens. You were never meant to carry them. And the end of Matthew 11, 28 again says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. This is Jesus talking. And I will give you rest. We find rest in Christ. And so there's no special exact formula for how to pray, but church, we are called to pray. And the more you pray, you'll find yourself wanting to pray more. And that's why Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 5 to pray without ceasing. If you want to continue to pray and deepen your prayer life, start praying. And I love what R.A. Torrey writes about prayer. When the devil sees a man or a woman who really believes in prayer who knows how to pray and who really does pray. And above all, when he sees a whole church on its face before God in prayer, he trembles as much as he ever did for he knows that his day in that church or community is at an end. When Satan sees the church on its knees 
not only praying, but believing in the God who hears our prayers, Satan trembles. And that's why we have the men of prayer. That's why we pray in our services and in our ministries, nights of prayer coming up next week. It's not just something we do because it's part of what we believe. It's because we believe in it. And that's why I want to invite you next week to our night of prayer and worship where we are going together uh, to gather together as the ecclesia to pour out our souls before the Lord. So if you want to make Satan really mad this week, would you come join us in prayer? Whether you've been praying your whole life or you don't even know how to pray, God calls us to pray. So next Sunday evening, 6 p.m. here in the worship center. And as the worship team comes forward to lead us in worship, I want to leave you with this. Earlier, I mentioned Jehoshaphat and how his first reaction was to pray. Well, in 2 Chronicles 20, we read about how a number of neighboring nations joined forces to attack Judah. So a number of these neighboring nations came together and were preparing to attack Judah. And when he heard of this, Jehoshaphat, this was his reaction. He was terrified. But what does he do from there? He begged the Lord for guidance, and he ordered everyone in Judah to begin fasting. So people from all the towns of Judah came to Jerusalem to seek the Lord's help. And then he stood in front of the people of God, and he prayed for wisdom and guidance. And as he prayed, listened to what he prays. This is what the Lord says, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. By this mighty army, for the battle is not yours but God's. And so just like Hannah, just like Jehoshaphat, the battles we face start with us on our knees in prayer, in full submission to God, trusting that he is at work always. And so prayer doesn't always fix our circumstances, but it changes and conforms our heart to the very heart of God. And I'll leave you with this, Psalm 121. I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Would you join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this time that we can gather together as the ecclesia to worship you because you are the God alone. And God, we give you the praise and glory. Thank you because of what Christ did on the cross, that we can enter into prayer. And God, I pray that we would never put a wedge in between us and you, because that's what Satan wants. Because through the death and resurrection of Jesus, the veil has been torn. And so why do we continue to find ways to stitch it back up? Lord, help us to run to you, to pour out our hearts and souls before you, Because like Hannah, through her example, as she looked to you, may we come before you in prayer. And I pray that in through this closing song as we worship, Lord, and even following that, if we need to get right with you, why not do it today? Let us pour our heart and souls out before you, Lord, because you know our hearts, you know our minds, you know every hair on our head. So why are we trying to hide and carry our burdens when we were never meant to carry them? 
So God, may we cast them to you. May we give them over to you because you can carry them. God, thank you for who you are and we trust in you. And we ask this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.